0: Well, it's great to be together this morning. It's great to have you here with us, students and visitors. We're going to be picking up on the... It's the third week in our series, Reflections of Splendour. Last week, John spoke about the one God who is three persons, the Trinity. And uh, this morning, we're going to focus on the father. And uh, it says this, Paul says this to the Ephesians. He says this, there is one God and father of all. And that's what we're going to unpack a bit this morning. We're going to encounter God the father. We're going to understand what it means for God to be a father. You see, each person of the trinity, father, son and spirit is completely God. God is completely loving, merciful, holy and righteous. And yet Each person of the Trinity has a distinct role and Paul reflects this when he says to the church in Corinth, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And as we read all through the pages of the Gospels, Jesus reveals to us that God is his Father and our Father. And one of the reasons Jesus came into this sin-sick world was to reveal to us and help us know that God is our Father. He says things like, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. And he also says, when you pray, you're to pray saying, our Father in heaven. Over these next three weeks, we're going to be looking, at, uh, looking through the lens of one of the three persons of the Godhead. And this morning, it's, we're looking through the lens of God as the Father. And it's not a vista to be enjoyed from afar. It's something to be experienced personally. It's deeply personal. And as we bask in the knowledge that God is our Father... It will change us deeply. And it will cause us to reflect something of that fatherhood to a fatherless world around us. You see, sadly, our own experience of fathers has colored what what it means for God to be our father. It's a problem of epidemic proportions. I remember as a schoolboy seeing for the first time uh, 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 a lad called Eddie in school take off his shirt and show wheels on his back where his dad had been beating him. I remember as I was growing up as a, uh, as a, as a youngster, my own dad was a flawed father. I mean, he's a lovely man, but he was a flawed father. And I remember moments where I remember writing a project, having to write a project on Charles Darwin. And I was writing it and he was standing over my shoulder. I remember as he was standing over my shoulder, every time I made a mistake, he'd take the page and he'd scrumple it up and he'd throw it and he'd say, start again. Until I got it right. See, my dad was a flawed father. But the really sad thing is that I'm a flawed father. I've had the privilege of being a father to Meg and Joe, but I'm a flawed father. There are moments I know where I have let my children down badly by the way I've acted and the way I've treated them. The truth is God is our father, but he's not a father like us. I remember when my own dad died. Many of you will know my dad died in a car accident. But for those who don't know, my dad died when I was 27. And uh, God spoke to me through someone uh, praying for me, prophesying over me. And they prophesied over me. They didn't know anything about the circumstances. It was about five or six weeks after my dad had died. And they said, God says to you, he's going to be a father to you. This person said it about five or six times. It went deep into my spirit. Deep into my spirit. God will be a father to you. I'd lost my earthly father. God said, I'm your father. I'm going to be a father to you. Was it true? Could God be a father to me? I want to tell you this morning that over these last 26 years, the answer to that question is yes, and it's still yes every day. And whilst I know something of the fatherhood of God, I'm still learning and, uh, to be honest, enjoying what it means to have God as my father. God's desire is for all of us to experience this truth. And the, th- the thing I want you to see, first of all this morning, is that God is not a father. God is the father. The Bible makes that absolutely clear. He's not A Father, God is the Father. He's the everlasting Father, we're told in Isaiah chapter nine. He cannot be anything other than the Father. The Bible provokes us in Deuteronomy chapter thirty two is he not your father, your creator? See the other two persons in the Trinity point to God the Father. Jesus always called God Father. Apart from one moment when he hung on the cross, bearing our sin, our wrongdoing, everything that prevents us from coming to God and knowing him as a father, Jesus, in that moment, as he bore our wrongdoing, took the punishment of God for our sin so that we might know God as father. In that moment, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only moment he didn't call God father. The Holy Spirit has come into this sin-sick world. The Holy Spirit has broken in. And it's the Holy Spirit that works within us and changes us on the inside that we can cry out, Abba, Father. That we can know God deep within as our Father. Jim Packer in his book Knowing God says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name, For God. What about us? Is God our Father? No one can know the Father unless Jesus, the Son, reveals him to us. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. We're only sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not only is God the Father... The second thing I want to say is this. He is the perfect father. He's the perfect father. I mean, I liked, as my kids were growing up, I liked to think of myself as being the perfect father. My, I used to love football as I was growing up as a kid, and my, my dad very rarely would uh, come and watch me play. Maybe because it was... Um, I was so bad, or maybe it was because it was so wet and muddy in, in Wales, South Wales. Uh, every Saturday was a pretty unpleasant experience. But as, as my son grew up, I, I wanted to take him to football. So we used to travel all the way up and down the A3, um, playing for, uh, well, for Locksheath Lions, and uh, I, I, I like to think of myself as the, the perfect father. Unfortunately, uh, I don't think my son agreed. There were periods I think my son wished I hadn't come with him. And uh, what used to happen, we'd get to somewhere, we'd get to somewhere like Clanfield, and uh, someone, uh, the manager of the team would say, right, we need someone to run one of the lines. And no one would offer, and in the end I'd feel, I'd just go, I'll do it. And I could see my son's face. My son's face would be, oh, no. And, it, and it, I, what used to happen was, um, I, I, even with my glasses on, my eyesight isn't great, okay? So something would happen somewhere up the line that I'm supposed to be running the line on. If the ball goes up, I flag it one way or the other. Which way does the touch go? Um, Unfortunately, they would get a moment and I wouldn't see, so I'd, just make, I'd either look at the referee and the referee would look at me and I'd, just, I'd do that or that. I'd just take a best guess. And of course, what used to happen is, if you've ever been to uh, children's football boys' football matches, they, they get very aerated. And uh, so the manager of the other side, um, by nature normally is a hothead, and, um, and they would start shouting at me. And um, they got to some points where the referee even had to stop the match. That happened, that happened at least one occasion. And on another occasion, um, I, I was cross about something that had happened on the pitch. And I flagged. And he stopped the game. And um, he said, you're not supposed to be doing that. And in the end, my son said to me, when we used to get a full matches, he said, say, Dad, please. Please today, Dad. Please don't do it. Please don't run the line today. Dad, Dad you don't have to do it. Someone, let someone else do it, Dad. Please. I was not the perfect father. God, however, is. You know, he never gets out of bed on the wrong side. Paul says that it's from God that all fatherhood, earthly or heavenly, derives its name. He says that in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It's God who reveals what fatherhood really looks like. What do we see? What do we see when we look at this father? What are the attributes of fatherhood? Why is God called the Father? Why does God reveal to Himself to us as the Father? Well, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story about a father and two sons. And the, the point of the story is to reveal to us what the Father is really like, what God the Father is really like. And He tells this story in Above everything else in this story, we see a father who is overflowing with compassion to two sons who treat him shamefully. In truth, both the sons are self-centered. I mean, that's really relevant in the world that we live in today. I want. Give me. It's my right. I'm entitled. It's my life. Because I'm worth it. Uh, all slogans of today's society. Slogans of a world that is completely self-focused. The younger son in the story demands from his father, Give me my share of the estate. Give me my inheritance. Effectively, he was saying to his father, I can't wait for you to die. Just give me the money now. Only in this last week or so, I have heard or I've seen in an email someone say exactly that. Why don't we get our inheritance now? The father gives him his share and the son squanders it all in wild living far away from home he's lost to his father squanders his inheritance i want to say to you students here away from home for the first time some of you have come away with a great inheritance of godly christian parents some of you may not have christian parents but you've come from a church a background i want to say to you don't squander your inheritance. It's so easy to do that. This younger son wasted the inheritance he had and lost it all in a moment. The older brother in the story that Jesus tells stays at home. So the younger brother goes, takes his inheritance, goes away. The older brother stays. But at a heart level, this older brother is equally lost. And at the end of the story that Jesus tells, when the broken and repentant younger brother comes home, and the father is overjoyed to see his younger son come home. And he runs to embrace him. The older brother is furious. He's furious at the welcome the younger brother gets. And he won't go out and celebrate. And he says this to his father. All these years I've been slaving for you. And you never even gave, you never even gave me a lamb to, to enjoy and celebrate with my friends. You see... The thing about older brothers is that there are elements of truth in what they say. And yet they never go and talk about it. They just stand on the outside. Grumpy, bitter, critical, joyless. I want to say to you this morning, let's not be like that. Come on, let's enjoy the grace of God. God is a perfect father. He's a perfect father who always initiates relationship. You see, these two boys, even though they've a father who clearly loves them, both sons end up lost, away from home, far from home. They won't come home. I tell you, that must have broken the father's heart. It was only this year, just before the summer, I'm talking to my son. I'm saying, oh, what time, when are you coming home this summer? And he says, oh, actually, Dad, I'm staying in Canterbury this summer. I mean, he's staying there for good reasons. And inside, I'm thinking, oh, no. Try not to show it. Oh, no, I want my boy home. I want my boy home. I don't want to feel that distance. How did... How did the father in this story feel when his sons are lost to him far from him not for good reasons but for bad reasons how does god feel about his children who who are far from home distance from him his heart breaks But it's the father who initiates relationship, he desperately wants them home, despite these two sons having scandalously treated him. He's constantly looking out for the younger son's return, and when the younger son, the first turning in his heart, and the, the first step home, coming back with shame, the father's running towards him. The father initiates relationship. The older brother is outside. He won't come in. He says, I'm not going to come in and celebrate with you. It's the father who goes out to him. The father runs to the one and left a party to come and get the other. And we see a father full of grace, unconditionally reaching out to those who don't deserve it. And Jesus is showing us this is what God the father is like. There are so many ways we see this. God, it says of God the Father that he sends. The living Father, Jesus said, sent me. God sends Jesus. God initiates the rescue plan. It's God who did it. He did it because, not because we loved him, but because he loves us. That's what we're told in 1 John 4 verse 10. God the Father sends. God the Father saves The Father draws people to himself through Jesus. God wanted to rescue us. He didn't do it because he was lonely. He didn't need company. He did it because he wanted us to be part of his family. There was no lack in God. He saves He reconciles. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. God, the Father, reconciles us to to himself through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul tells the Corinthians. The Father unconditionally initiates relationship. He's a Father who always initiates. But he's also a Father who who always gives generously. The word prodigal, the the story of the prodigal son, comes from the word profligate, meaning wasteful and extravagant, and we easily associate the word with the two sons, wasting their inheritance. And yet Tim Keller says the most profligate person in the story is the father. He gave to his sons even when they didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve an inheritance, They didn't deserve it, but the Father gave it to them. The God we worship is a Father who is extravagant. He's compassionate. We're told He's the Father of compassion. He's not a compassionate Father. He's the Father of it. He gives. He gives His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He loves us extravagantly, we heard this morning how great is the love that the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of god extraordinary what an extraordinary father who is so generous tozer says this the love of god is one of the great realities of the universe a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests but it is a personal intimate thing too God does not love populations. He loves people. He loves not masses, but men. And I'd go further. He loves you. He's a Father who's always generous. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father, who does not change like shifting shadows. This is a father, Jesus says, who is always about his work. And he never gives because he needs something from us. He's not looking for anything from us. He loves us completely. He gives us generously. Not on the basis of what we deserve, but on the basis of who he is. He's a father who always gives generously. But he's also a father who is always in control. You see... The older son is angry, he's envious, and he tries to manipulate his father to get what he wants. He's basically trying to manipulate for I'm not coming in. I'm not coming in because you're doing that. You're being you're being you're throwing this party I, I'm not coming in because of that. And he's trying to manipulate the situation. He's trying to control the father. And the father will not be controlled. He wants both sons home. But he isn't prepared to allow them to come home at any cost. Both of them have to come to their senses. Both of them have to come to their senses. And we see in the story that the younger son, it says, came to his senses and he starts to go home. He, the Bible language for that is its repentance. He turns away from uh, living without reference to his father and he turns and he goes, says, I'm going to go back to my father's home. That is what the Bible means when it says repentance. It's talking about us living independently of God and saying, no, I I turn, I turn, I want to look towards God. And as you do that, you find a father who runs to you. But there's repentance involved. And the older brother, the father goes out to him, but it's not come home at any cost. He pleads with him, he pleads with his older son, come home come and celebrate, come and enjoy this party, because my, young, my son was lost and is found, and he won't do it. And the sad bit about the story is we never know whether he comes home or not. You see, the father's not prepared to destroy his home with sons who haven't changed. And so... There is a need for repentance. The father is in control. And that's why God as a father, we're told in the the New Testament, that God disciplines his children because he loves them. It's a sign of love. Actually, not to be disciplined is a sign that we're illegitimate. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says. We're illegitimate children. We have a father who also keeps and protects us. Jesus says none can pluck them out of my father's hand. He keeps us. He's in control. Jesus said his father in John 15 verse 1 is like a gardener who prunes us to make us more fruitful. And yet whilst he's in control, he is never controlling. I want you to get this. Whilst he is in control, he is never controlling. He never forces us against our will. He never withholds affection because of something we've done or our attitude. He never withholds affection. He doesn't give us the cold shoulder. He doesn't give us the freezer treatment He never distances himself. He is never controlling. He never seeks to control us by withholding and treating us like that. He actually goes out and he pleads with his older son. He's he's out there pleading with his older son, come home. He's right next to him pleading, come home. See, the whole point of this is, thirdly, we're called to imitate the Father. Honoring New One in his book, Return of the Prodigal, asks this Do I want to be like the Father? Do I want to be not just the one who is being forgiven, but also the one who forgives? Not just the one who is being welcomed home, but also the one who welcomes home? Not just the one who receives compassion? but the one who offers it as well. Paul says that we're called to imitate God, our Father. We're called to glorify him. Jesus says, let your light shine before men. In Matthew, he says, talks about us pleasing the Father. Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, says, you don't have many fathers. God is looking for fathers. This is not a gender issue. God is looking for people who have his father's heart and reflect it to the world around. How can we imitate, how can we reflect God's father heart? Well, we can always take the initiative relationally. That means that we're those who walk across to the room to those who are on their own. We don't stay in our safe zone. That means, as a church, we are to be the most welcoming people. It's not the welcomes team's responsibility to welcome people. It's all of us. If we've all got our Father's heart, we'll all be those who go across the room to welcome others. For those who are in college or school or university, there are many people who are on their own, struggling. We're called to be those who have hearts like the Father, who cross over, who go over and make them feel welcome, even when we don't feel like it. We're to be those who cross the road to help those in need, even, and and don't pass by on the other side. We run to those who are in trouble even if it's their own fault. We go out of our way to encourage the timid, timid and help the weak. We reach out to the lonely and the broken. If a relationship is damaged, we're the ones who are to seek to restore it. Even if it is the other person's fault. We're to believe the best in people. We never give up on people. He never gave up on us. That's what we were singing about this morning. We're to be people like that. I was watching a situation unfold, not in this church, over the last months, and I was watching a young couple just, just in a bit of a pickle, really, in a church setting. And I was praying, I was pleading that someone would run out to them and and draw them back in. It didn't take much. I was looking for the father's heart. The father heart. For someone to go and just draw them back in. It wouldn't have taken much. And in the, in the end it didn't happen. I felt heartbroken. As churches we are to demonstrate the father's heart. I tell you in church life many people come and go. Many people leave. And, and I've tried really hard. I want to tell you I try hard and I'm, I, sometimes I don't do very well, but I try really hard as the leader of the church that when any people go, even when I feel they perhaps could have done a bit better, I, try, I always try to let them go with grace and say there is always a way back for you. The door is always open for you. If it doesn't work out for you, I always try to pray for them as they go. I don't always get it right. But I want us as a people to reflect something of the Father's heart to those who are damaged and broken. Always take the initiative relationally. Always be generous. God has been so generous with us, even when we didn't deserve it. Let's be the same with others. Start by always wanting the best for people. Let's not be those who delight when things go wrong for others. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we're a little like that. Sometimes we can be a little like that. Something goes wrong for someone else and we think, oh, serves them right. If you've never thought that, then, well, I'd like to meet you because I'd like you would like to pray for us at the end of the meeting, actually, because you've clearly got some anointing. We all feel a little like that on occasions, when especially when someone has hurt us or upset us. We feel like it's a little bit of payback. God's not like that. God isn't like that. Our father isn't like that. He's generous even when we don't deserve it. Be glad God overlooks what we are like because of Jesus. Let's start imitating him. Let's be generous with our time, with our possessions, with our money. Let's be compassionate as our father is compassionate. Let's forgive as God has forgiven us. So We are so in danger when we withhold forgiveness. Let's never be kind expecting a return on our investment. Let's do it just because he's kind and we want to be like him. Let's always love people unconditionally. Both of the sons in the story experienced unconditional and undeserved love. The younger son realized he was still a son even when he wasn't worthy to be called a son. God's just like that with us. Think about how Jesus is spoken of by his Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We are in Christ. That's what Paul tells the Ephesians. We are in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us, because of our faith in him and what he did on the cross for us. If you've if you put your trust in him to save you, To deal with your past, your wrongdoing. You are now in Christ. And God speaks of you as he speaks of his son Jesus. This is my beloved son and I'm pleased in him. Not because of how you've performed, but because of how he's performed on your behalf. Hallelujah. God speaks about us exactly the same way as he does Jesus. He loves us unconditionally. Let us be those who affirm and love others like that. Over the years, I get to go to loads of weddings. I get to officiate at loads of weddings. And one of the things I notice is is the, the, the trend of best man speeches to savage the groom. Savage. Some of them are brutal. Occasionally, they're funny. I look and I think, wouldn't it be great if someone just says something really kind and doesn't doesn't look to pull them down I was just thinking I can think of a few weddings where the best man has just come and just given the best speech about the groom and said some amazing things and you're left thinking wow that lady's blessed to be married to that guy that's the whole point it's supposed to be a best man speech I want to encourage us to be those who love others unconditionally. Let's speak well of others. Always live with the big picture in mind. You see, God's in control, but he's never controlling. And we need to trust him to work out his will and not try and work it out for him. I want to tell you this. Over the years, I've, I've watched this sadly, where... People, Christians, withhold kindness because of something someone's done. I've been in situations where the temperature in the room is so cold you've in, in midsummer you've needed a parker. It's been minus forty below, and with the wind chill factor, it's like minus eighty. You could die in that temperature just simply because someone is withholding kindness and they're they're inside, they're saying, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak to you, I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna you don't deserve it, you did that, you let me down. And, and and you can be in places and it's like that and I just think oh this is not the heart of god it is not the heart of god how often do we withhold affection from others because we feel they've badly treated us the sad thing is we are we all do it on occasions we withhold because we feel hurt God wants to say to us this morning live with a big picture. Live with a big picture of what He did for you. How He forgave you unconditionally. You hurt Him and He still loved you. He still treated you with warmth. He still came to you. He still won your heart. He wants us to be people like that. Live with a big picture in mind. Finally, always point to Jesus. If we're going to imitate God, we will love God the Son. We will love Jesus. The answer to the ache of every human heart is found in a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And how we relate to Jesus is absolutely crucial. It determines everything. When Jesus is central to our lives, we are in harmony with God the Father When Jesus is little more than an add-on, we are in danger of becoming like the two sons in the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15. What about us today? Let's not squander our inheritance. Maybe this morning you find yourself, you feel far from God. Maybe you feel distant. I tell you, God is here this morning. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his name. There he is in the midst. And do you know what? He's come and he's alongside and he's saying, come on. Come home. Come home. You don't have to be distant. Draw near. As you draw near to him, he promises to draw near to you. That's the promise of Scripture. Whatever trouble you're in, whatever you've done, You're never too far. The father never gives up on us. All we need to do is to draw near to him. He is the father, the perfect father. And he he initiates unconditionally. He's extravagantly generous. He's in control, but he's never controlling. And what a father. What a father. God will never stop being the father. He can't. It's who he is let's follow his example and let's reflect his splendor around to a dark and needy world maybe you know that you've just been a bit controlling you've not shown the father's heart you've just held things in your heart against others today's the day you can let go of all that it's very easy you just let go God is a forgiving father Jesus has made it possible for those that stuff, that baggage, to be let go of. And this morning there'll be an opportunity for you to put that right. Bear Grylls says this: Christianity is not about religion; it's about faith, about being held, about being forgiven. It's about finding joy and finding home.